I'm going to say thank you to Elijah. Elijah, how old are you? 20. I've, I've known Elijah for 20 years probably, since he was born. And so uh, it's cool to see Elijah up here doing this. Um, it's one of his passions, obviously, is leading worship and singing. So thank you for being here, Elijah. Um, this morning we are continuing our series called Fine Print where we look at a few passages that are often uh, maybe misused or misunderstood and attempt to add the contextual backing of those passages. And for the passage this morning, I thought the only appropriate way to connect the dots uh, would be to show you a video from Jay-Z. Um, it's a clear connection in my head, and hopefully it will be for you as well. Thank you. Cole's understanding. Cole's like, absolutely, this makes sense. So when the Brooklyn Arena opened years ago, they signed Jay-Z to do, uh, some of you were like, had no idea this is where it was going. Um, hang with me. So when the, the Brooklyn Arena opened years ago, they signed Jay-Z to do eight shows to open the arena. Jay-Z, a native of Brooklyn, New York, uh, it just made sense to them to do these shows. But what Jay-Z did uh, before these shows is really what is interesting to me. There were a lot of ways that Jay-Z could have gotten to the Brooklyn Arena from his home. He could have taken a private car, probably even a helicopter, a lot of different modes of transportation. But what Jay-Z decided to do was to take the train. Now, Jay-Z is a crazy big musician. Like, there's no denying that by any means. And so for him to go from point A to point B, there are a lot of logistical elements that have to be considered. Like, security, how do we get this guy through the turnstops? I mean, there's a lot of that that you have to factor into it. And so they decide this is what they're going to do. Jay-Z, to go to this Brooklyn arena, is actually going to ride the train. And because he did it, we have this amazing video of Jay-Z sitting beside somebody who has no idea who Jay-Z is. And so, Miles, if we're ready, let's go ahead and play that video. So I love that video because one, he sat down beside the cutest, sweetest lady possible on the train. But if you're that individual, let's put ourselves in Ellen's shoes for just a moment. You're just riding your train trying to get home, and there's just so much commotion that's happening on the train that you probably take every single day. And then this man enters the train, and he's got an entourage with him. There's security. There's all of that. And then he looks around to sit down, and he sits down right beside Ellen. Now, there's a lot of opportunities for Ellen in that moment to judge, to be like, what is going on here? Who is this individual? Who does he think he is? But she doesn't do that. She looks at Jay-Z and just sees another person just like her trying to get from point A to point B. Now, I love how it ends where she like recognizes that she's like, oh, I know who Jay-Z is. I don't know how many albums she has of Jay-Z's. I don't know. But you can see the kindness. Now, it reminded me of a famous quote from Ted Lasso to be curious, not judgmental. 
I've already done a sermon on this, so I'm not going to do another one. But Ellen's attitude towards meeting Jay-Z reminded me of this mentality. Now, this morning, we're going to spend some time looking at Matthew chapter 7, if you want to go ahead and find that in your, your Bibles or on your phones, whatever devices you use. Uh, but our verse this morning highlights a passage that is often used to grant freedom to do whatever one likes. As long as we don't look down on others for doing what they like. It's this essential, like, moral, get-out-of-jail-free card. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. As a kid, I remember pastors saying, judge lest ye be judged, and thinking that Blackbeard himself had quoted this, only to learn that it was Jesus, not a pirate, that was giving us this line, do not judge or you too will be judged. But again, the misapplication of this echoes a mindset that states, if you don't judge me, if I don't judge you, then I'm in the clear to do whatever I want. I think this comes from our society's belief that judgment has such a negative connotation to it. But this would not have been a foreign concept to Jesus' audience. It's likely the disciples would have quickly accepted this idea that they would be judged for how they live. When John records the words of Jesus, he brings to light a righteous judgment in John chapter 7, verse 24. But the key element to this is how we apply this judgment matters. So when Jesus speaks the second line that we see here, "...for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged." And with the measure you use, it will be measured on you. His audience would have also understood this connection. That if we judge others harshly, that we will receive that same treatment. Now, Jesus' audience of the disciples especially would have understood this concept that every believer will give an account to God for the deeds done during their lifetime. Paul himself talks about this in 1 Corinthians and Romans, and the writer of Hebrews also echoes this. And so what Jesus is introducing here isn't a new idea or concept, but it is a refreshing reminder that how we treat people matters. How we view people matters. And how we judge them matters. See, judging others is the opposite of how Paul describes love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Love does not take into account the wrong suffered. Because judgmental attitudes breeds more judgmental attitudes. James, the the brother of Jesus, echoes this sentiment on judgment in James chapter 4, where he writes, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? There are a lot of beliefs that James is just reciting and repackaging the Sermon on the Mount, which would make sense as somebody that is close to Jesus as James was. And although it's not the fun, cuddly Jesus that we often embrace, it's a powerful reminder that God will judge us by the same measure or standard that we set for judging other people during our lifetimes. Now, to drive this point home, Jesus does what Jesus often does, and he presents a parable. So Jesus begins by saying, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Now it's easy for us to read this passage monotone, flatlining. But this would have caused laughter. The crowd would have laughed at this imagery. Because it's exaggerated and it's humorous, which is the point that Jesus is trying to make. 
Because a speck of sawdust is so small and insignificant that at its core it really doesn't matter. Which makes it trivial and hilarious to think that one would be concerned or consumed with a a speck of sawdust. But Jesus forces the comparison by talking about the plank in the other person's eye. And again, the imagery is intended to be ridiculous. In his translation of scripture, Eugene Peterson uses the imagery of finding something dirty on somebody's face. As a parent of two children who are dirty all the time, even after baths, we don't understand it. And as we approach Halloween, which, just a simple reminder, trunk or treat, Sunday, uh, October 29th, be there or be square. But as Halloween approaches, we are starting to see more chocolate on our kids' faces than we have all year long. And I feel like Whitney and I are constantly cleaning our children's faces from smudges and chocolate. And so when Eugene Peterson uses his imagery of finding a small smudge on somebody's face, I connect with it. But he he stresses this idea of worrying about that tiny smudge on someone else's face and ignoring the mess on yours. I thought a lot about these morning talks that Jude and I have between our house and Williams Magnet. We talk about a lot of different things. We, we listen to silly music, and we're finally moving on from Weird Al. But in these, these brief moments that we have, I often try to do these like kind of moments of wisdom where, where I try to talk to Judah about being nice to people. One of the, the largest elements that we are trying to instill within Judah is that you've got to be kind and respectful to anyone. It doesn't matter if you disagree with them, if you don't like them, if you, you don't even like the way they live their life, you've got to be kind and you've got to be respectful. But what's really silly is on those moments to school, I can often drop him off, turn on Mississippi, hit Cantrell, and then, man, if somebody cuts me off, like, here comes that horn, right? I'm so worried about the little smudge in his, on his face that there's this mess all over mine. See, I try to tell Judah that he needs to be kind and respectful, only to realize that I've become this traffic monster on Cantrell Road. But it's easy to miss the point here. See, the presumption is on us in this story. A lot of times we, we disconnect and we make the story about other people, but what Jesus is really trying to do here is to turn the tables on self-reflection and evaluation and using humor to do so. So we're having fun talking about planks of wood and specks of sawdust in our eyes, but Jesus is really saying, do you know how you're living? Do you see how you're judging people? So we get caught up in the laughter and the silliness of the imagery here and overlook that Jesus is saying that we might be the problem. Perhaps the judgment that we are placing on someone may not, wait, may not be as big of a deal as the plank in our own eyes. Jesus is saying that you need to look at yourself and consider your own faults before you challenge someone else. Perhaps it is the very log in our own eyes that is hindering our ability to see this person as God might see them. That same log may hinder our ability to show the same love and mercy that God might extend to that person. But the tone of this whole passage changes with the next line, when Jesus drops, you hypocrite. When Jesus says this, you, you probably could have heard a pin drop. Because remember, we're having fun. 
We're talking about planks and sawdust and how silly it is for somebody to be walking around swinging a plank with their eye. Like, we're having a good time. And then Jesus drops you hypocrite. I believe this is probably where we get the line, check yourself before you wreck yourself, if you're familiar with that. But Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Friends, there are countless examples of this throughout Scripture. Of individuals failing to see that they are walking around with a plank in their own eye and are desiring to call out the speck of sawdust in someone else's. David does this. When David sleeps with Bathsheba, has her husband murdered, Nathan, the prophet, confronts David. And he tells David this story about a man stealing another man's sheep. David, the text says, burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he had such a thing and had no pity. And Nathan follows up, David, you are that man. David, you have the plank in your eye. You're so ready to judge somebody else, but you're failing to see that by walking around with this plank in your own eye, you're making a bigger mess than anything that the man with the sawdust could have done. But it's not just David. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery. We challenges the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And in John chapter 8, verse 7, when they kept on questioning him, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin, be the first to throw a stone at her. Another example of individuals walking around with planks in their eyes, failing to see that they are causing more damage. But before you judge someone else, that we are called to examine ourselves. But we don't want to do that. That's the hardest thing to do, is to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, what are the things that I am causing people problems for? It's not fun, but it often highlights how we often ignore our own faults and call them out in others. Now, I would be remiss if I I didn't look at a passage here in uh, Matthew chapter 7 and ignore what I believe is the weirdest thing that Jesus adds in this context. And what I mean by that is we've just spent five verses talking about not judging people. We are not supposed to judge people. If we judge people, we're going to be judged by that same measure by God, that how we treat other people, like that is how our lives will be evaluated when we give God an account of how we lived, how we've treated people, how we've judged people. And then in verse 6, Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you down to pieces. And tear you to pieces. It's okay to be like, this is weird. Feel like we've made a turn here, Jesus, because you just told us not to judge people, and now we're calling people pigs and dogs. Now, if, if you want to try to make it work, you can say, well, maybe that's a compliment. Maybe calling people a pig or a dog, it's a nice thing to say. It's not. Uh, you shouldn't ever do that in any social construct anyway. And in Jesus' context, the idea of a, a dog is not this, these fur babies that we embrace and love today. Like for Halloween, Jesus isn't talking about the dogs that you dress up with for Halloween. He's talking about these street animals. But even forcing this and pushing it, when Jesus references pigs, pigs are viewed as unclean. 
And so we have to wrestle with what is Jesus saying here? There are a lot of people that will use verse 6, that do not give dogs what is sacred, do not throw your pearls to pigs, as a means of denying maybe communion. Uh, It's also been used to just deny people overall access to, to God, maybe to church. However, if we are using it and accept it in the context that we receive it, I believe there are better applications than denying people's access. See, in Jesus' context, calling someone a pig or a dog would have been a major insult. And so what I think Jesus is really getting at here is what we would call like a heart issue. This would follow the larger theme in this section, because I think Jesus is stressing and making a point that we should be careful and to guard our hearts. Essentially, like, don't give people who don't care about you the things that you care about. If someone is just going to use what you give to them to hurt you, man, why are you doing that? You might as well just give it to a dog or to a pig. See, Jesus is attempting to give us guidance on how to protect our hearts from those who are hostile to us. I don't think this is permission to deny kindness or hospitality to someone. Rather, it is a reminder, just as we talked about last week, that we have something that is unique and special. And that we need to be careful and not allow people who are trying to break us down and trample what we hold dear. And although it sounds like Jesus, who has just told us not to judge people, is in fact judging people, he's really encouraging us to be careful with who we give our hearts to. And so Matthew chapter 7, at least these first six verses, which fall as a part of the Sermon on the Mount, is a powerful reminder that how we live matters. How we judge people matters. Jesus is stressing this idea that how we view people, it changes our experience. And if we are going to be so confident in our willingness to judge other people, we need to be willing to examine ourselves. Often when we judge people, especially in the context that Jesus is speaking, we often come at it as like, oh, how blessed are you that I can see the problems in your life. It is so, uh, you're so blessed that I have shown up in this moment to tell you exactly what you're doing wrong. And when we do that, we're kind of like, hey, and God is with me. God is like, yeah, that person is a loser. Like, we got to fix that person. And we take ownership of this. But what Jesus is encouraging us to do in this moment and in this context is before you judge someone, reflect on how you're living your life. Consider that you may be the problem. There may be a reason why you are judging that person the way that you are. And at least how I see Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is saying it's probably because there's a huge plank in your eye. And so this text, which is is at times challenging but is also powerful, is a beautiful reminder that if we are going to judge someone, we need to judge ourselves first. And how we judge people whether that be harshly or severely, that is how God is going to judge us. So as Christians, as believers of Jesus, our challenge through this text is that we should look at people in the way that God does, with mercy, with grace, and maybe with people that maybe have a little speck of sawdust in their eyes, but God still loves them. Let's stand and sing together.